Welcome to Easy Money. I'm Jill, the money coach. I know what it's like to push through, to white knuckle it, to put in the time and get no results. I know what it's like to wonder what's the right way and to constantly worry about doing it all wrong. I've learned a whole lot from doing things the hard way. That's why I help coaches go from doing everything the hard way to making money easy. You want to create your dream life and dream business that's all about being free to do what you want, spend what you want, and build the future you want and do it all with ease? In this podcast, I bring you simple strategies for success for your business that make money easy. So it's time for easy money. Are you ready? Well then, let's go! Hey, welcome back to Easy Money. I'm Jill Wright, and I'm so happy to have you back here for another conversation with a coach. So this summer, I decided to have uh, on my podcast um, some coaches, and we're just having conversations about building business, about uh, building uh, coaching businesses, and in this week's episode, you get to eavesdrop on my conversation with Mark Butler, the money guy, where we talk shop about building a business. Uh, he has such great ideas about what works and what doesn't. So if you want to raise a successful business, this is a great episode to listen in on. So uh, just you know, treat after treat after treat on Easy Money Podcast this summer. I am just having so much fun having these conversations with various coaches in various niches, and it has been so much fun. And there's so many more left to come. So be sure you tune in all summer long for more conversations with coaches. So when I was growing up for the first nine years of my life, I lived out on a country road. So not a lot was around our house in the way of treats. And so, uh, unless you counted the rhubarb that my dad grew or the wild black raspberries that we could pick along the side of the road because we lived out in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) We did have neighbors, but there weren't many. Um, But if you grew up in a place where they have ice cream trucks, summer on Easy Money Podcast might be a little bit like that because you just get to to, uh, listen for the new episode to come out and you get a treat each week by, you know, getting to listen to the amazing conversations I'm having with coaches. So, I mean, at least each week I feel like the ice cream truck is coming by with another amazing treat with another amazing guest for you. So when you start your coaching business, you're looking for someone who knows what PayPal and Stripe are, someone familiar with launches, masterminds, group coaching, retreats, memberships, eBooks, courses, freelancing, and productized services. Good news, that's Mark Butler. 
Mark started his first online business in 2004. In the last 16 or so years, he's made money using a variety of different business models. He's also collected a whole lot of information through observation of his clients' strategies along the way. Mark has a beautiful business conference coming up in September. It's the 20th and 21st in Salt Lake City. And you can learn more about that and sign up at www.letsdothebooks.com slash conference. He's going to tell you all about it in our conversation. So just sit back, relax, and enjoy this terrific conversation with this week's guest, Mark Butler. Thank you so much, Mark, for joining me on my Easy Money podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. I always love listening to the way you talk about business and you're a little bit disruptive sometimes, which I absolutely love. <laughs> I love thinking about things in a different way, especially when it comes to, to building a business. So you want to take a few minutes to introduce yourself. To, I, I think most of my no, audience knows you, but uh, for those that don't. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to. My, my name is Mark Butler and for about Oh, almost eight and a half years now. I've been I've been doing money related things with life coaches. So for a lot of that, that has looked like being the CFO or the kind of an advisor to life coaches that uh, a lot of your audience will have heard of. Businesses that range from you know brand new all the way up to tens of millions of dollars. So that has looked like me keeping track of the money for these coaches and then also advising them on how they use the money in their business. And these days I'm, I'm doing less of that kind of work where I actually sit with a business owner and plan out their cash flow and things like that. And I've kind of divided my businesses into two main areas. One is bookkeeping where we do the, we keep track of the money for coaches. We prepare their reports that they need at tax time. And then the other part of my business is just coaching, life coaching, some business coaching, I guess you call it that, but it's just having conversations with people about what's going on with them. Oh, cool. So what are the things, what are the, some of your favorite things to coach on? Um, favorite things to coach on. I do, I do like to coach people around their, their experiences with money. Mm. And so also business, but the, I don't really introduce, introduce myself as a business coach because I don't really do much in the way of sort of uh, here's what you need to do next in your business. Mm -hmm. More of the coaching I do these days is helping people understand, helping them discover for themselves the relationship between sort of their goals and their happiness. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. That's a big one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in my experience, especially in the coaching community that you and I have spent a lot of time in, I think that there's an underlying belief that kind of goal achievement is everything. It's a very result oriented community. Mm -hmm. And I, I now have lots of experience. I guess we're sneaking up on a de decade of experience working with people who have achieved enormous goals 
but there's no compelling evidence that they're any happier as a result. And so I do a fair amount of coaching on helping people keep their goals in context and making, helping them figure out what actually is going to drive their happiness and their satisfaction on a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and how many of those are money goals? The, that, that goal achievements that you were talking about. Uh, in my case, pretty much all of them, all yeah. the goals that I, I tend to interact with people are, are money goals because that's how I'm known in, in the community and yeah. people talk about me as the money guy and, uh, yeah. <laughs> which is, which is totally fine. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't chosen that label, but it's, it's, it's given people a reason to, to talk with me. And so the goals that I'm typically talking about yeah. are the goals that people have set with their business and with their money. Yeah. So I guess, I mean, what I'm hearing is, you know, if goal achievement is the thing that makes you happy and your goals are, are money oriented, then that idea is that more money equals more happy. Yeah. That's, that's what I observe mm -hmm. Yeah, is that people are operating, un operating under the assumption that there will be more happiness, peace, contentment when there's more money. And then they do end up being surprised when they have more money and there isn't necessarily more happiness, peace, or contentment, which yeah. sounds and is very cliched, but it's, it's, it catches people in our little corner of the world off guard because that message has been communicated, although not over overtly always, right. I think it's been communicated so clearly. Yeah. So the, there's an irony in a, in a, in a, in a community where the idea that feelings come from thoughts and that feelings are the fundamental experience of existence. There's an irony in promoting that idea and simultaneously talking constantly about money and having more of it, making mm. more of it, having more of it. Yeah. Because in, in the, in the approach to the world that we're accustomed to in this coaching community, where, um, the idea of thoughts, creating feelings is promoted. Something like money would be neutral. It would yeah. be called neutral. It would be, it would be described as a neutral thing that you can think anything you want about and feel any way you want to feel. But the way it's talked about, it's, it's talked about as being very much not neutral. Yeah. And there's a, I think there's a basic disconnect there that I end up coaching on a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I mean, that's a disconnect that I end up coaching on a lot too. So, I mean, it's, it's interesting kind of topic to talk about. And I mean, I, I think a lot of people do have sort of this disconnect. I think there's, there's some goal trauma for sure. There's some money trauma for sure. Um, that stems from a lot of, you know, could stem from a lot of different places, but then there's all also this sense that, you know, if I reach my goals, if I do all of this hard work, if I do all this hustle, if I, do all the things that I'm supposed to do air quotes, um, 
then I will reach my goal. And if I reach my goal, then I won't be subject to disappointment or failure. I will feel successful. I will feel proud. I will feel um, significant. What, whatever your flavor of, of positive and, and negative emotions are. But um, the way that I like to think about goals is that they're really, I get to go after what I want and I get to decide what that's going to mean to me. Um, but I also get to hold space. I get to hold space for the possibility that I'll achieve those goals. I get to hold space for the, um, for the possibility that I won't achieve those goals. I get to, you know, hold space for any emotion I want to feel about that. But the way that I look at goals is goals are there to make me think at a, or to give me an opportunity to give me um, a tool or vehicle to think at a higher level. That's the way that I look at goals. It's like I can set these huge goals without making achieving or not achieving mean something about me. I can be happy about it. I can be, I can feel neutral about it. I can feel any way I want, but it's just this vehicle for, for getting creative, for solving problems that I might not think to solve did I, had I not given myself this, this ginormous goal. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I, I, I will talk about goals sometimes as a, as a, as something that provides some direction to us. Yeah. So I've, I've used the analogy of a sort of long distance, open water swimming. When people <laughs> swim in open water, they have to pick their heads up periodically to find a focal point off in the distance. Otherwise they swim in circles. Yes. <laughs> because you don't have lane line. You don't, in a, in a swimming pool, you have a line painted on the bottom of the pool and you can just follow it. Yeah. But when you're swimming in open water, you, you truly will swim in circles or at least in a horrible zigzag pattern. Yeah. If you don't have the ability to pick your head up periodically and refocus on a, a point in the distance. Yeah. I like goals as those focal points. So yeah. it just gives you a way of picking your head up and saying, am I moving in the direction that I said I wanted to move? And are my activities aligned with that direction? And if so, great, let's keep going. Um, I think that's the way, in addition to what you said, I, I think that's the way goals can be of service to us. Yeah. Um, but when we use them more often than not, my observation that, that goals end up being something that people use as sort of weapons against themselves. Yeah. And it's... Uh, it seems like a lot of times people just trade one kind of suffering for another when they, when they pursue certain types of goal setting. There's a book I read a while back that says the author said something like, uh, I don't, I never set goals because goals are a recipe for near constant or near permanent disappointment mm. because all the while I'm pursuing the goal, if I've made the goal mean too much, all the while I'm pursuing it, I feel the lack of not having achieved it. And then I achieve it and I get to enjoy the feeling of having achieved it for about five minutes. And then I set a new goal and I'm right back into the lack of, of not having achieved the next goal. So, and I don't, 
I don't, I don't agree completely that it, you know, setting goals is sort of this recipe for misery, constant misery. But I do agree with him that when people give their goals too much meaning, they're at risk of feeling unhappy the majority of the time because they're either, either they've, they're pursuing a goal or they've just achieved a goal. And now they have to feel like they have to start a new pursuit. Yeah. And I, that's, I don't think that uh, attitude that, that approach to goal setting actually improves people's happiness. And I have had plenty of experiences over the last eight and a half years where I'll be talking to a client and she'll have set a goal and then she'll have achieved the goal. And she's barely acknowledged the achievement before she's talking about the next, the new, the bigger. And she's right back into the same anxiety that she had leading up to the achievement of the goal. And I, as I've observed that over hundreds of conversations, I've thought, I don't, I don't really want to engage in this same kind of activity. It doesn't seem, it, it's definitely not a, there's no, there's no appeal to me as I observe it. I don't think, I don't find myself thinking, oh, I want, I want the day that they seem to be having. I want the life they seem to be having. It, it doesn't, yeah. I'm not persuaded by it. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like what you're describing is when success depends on the achievement of goal, because as long as we're still pursuing the goal, then we're not feeling successful. And so if feeling successful depends on the achievement of a goal, we're like hardly ever those five minutes you talked about, that's the only time we're going to feel successful is for, for the five minutes that we're celebrating the goal we just achieved before we set the next goal. I, I was curious about, I mean, you've been on this business journey for a long time, a lot longer than a lot of my listeners. And so I was wondering if you might share a little bit of your journey um, and, you know, what that looked like for you. Is there a particular aspect of the journey that you're, you're referring to? Well, I mean, I guess the, the business building part of it, I think a lot of people struggle with, um, especially like we talked about when they don't feel successful. And so, I mean, it sounds like you've tried a bunch of different things and you've sometimes struggled and other times been super successful. And I think it would be helpful to people to kind of understand um, the different aspects of the struggle and the success, what might be similar, what might be different between those two. Um, and then, you know, what those success factors might have been for you. I do talk about this a lot, especially with, with kind of newer coaches. I think that many, many people who enter the coaching industry are under the impression that the ability to deliver a coaching experience is sufficient to being able to grow a successful practice or a successful business. And so they, you hear, I hear them say thing, a lot of things like, I just want to be a great coach. I'm really putting my focus on becoming a better coach. 
I'm signing up for another certification, another class, another thing. It's this constant improvement of the product that they plan to deliver, the product being coaching experiences, mm -hmm. whether that's one-on-one -on -one sessions or group experiences or retreats or memberships or whatever it happens to be. And so, especially in moments of frustration, I'll hear them say, in their frustration, I'll hear them say, I know I'm a great coach. Mm -hmm. And I will often have to gently say, I'm sorry that you think that matters as much as you seem to think it matters. It doesn't matter that much. It doesn't matter as much as you want it to matter. What actually matters more is the ability to meet and persuade new people. In fact, in the coaching, and I don't think this is just coaching. I think therapy is similar. I think uh, books, I think even writing books, even fiction. I think that these things matter more than the quality of the product itself. And I think that's hard for a lot of people to hear. And it is just my opinion. People are welcome to disagree and they can probably give evidence for why I'm wrong. I'm, I'm absolutely open to that. My observation has been the people who have the greatest ability and willingness to meet and persuade new people will be those who have the biggest, most financially successful businesses. Mm -hmm. So when someone says, I know I'm a great coach, I'll say in the long run, I believe that matters a lot, especially if you're building a one-on-one -on -one practice that's driven by relationships and referrals. In the short run, it matters. It, it's not going to move the needle for you very quickly. So there's this basic disconnect where someone will say, again, because of the coaching community that they sort of reside in, if, well, what, what are you trying to do in your business right now? Oh, well, I want to make $50,000 in the next 12 months. I want to make $100,000 in the next 12 months. And in my most honest moments, I'll say, there's not one chance that you will do that. It is, it is mathematically if you were to do it, it would be, it would be math. It would be astonishing. Why? Because you don't have enough relationships where people know, where people know you and like you and trust you in that specific context to translate into enough yeses to be 50,000 or a hundred thousand dollars in earnings and coaches bless us are, are like, well, I know, but I've, I'm working really hard on my belief. And I'll say, oh, your belief is irrelevant. Sorry. Your belief doesn't matter very much. In the long run, it's everything. In the short run, it doesn't matter very much. In the short run, your belief or your enthusiasm will get you to take action. But if it's propped up on this idea of, oh, if I believe, then I'll make $100,000, then you're going to get quickly disappointed and you very likely will quit. Yeah. So... I absolutely want you to believe, but it becomes a question of believe in what, what are you believing in and what are you doing? If you're a person who has, uh, let's say lots of sales experience where you, you have a track record of meeting and persuading people because that's what your job required. You absolutely are at a, at a, you have a head start over people who don't have similar experience independent of whether you're a good coach or they're a good coach. So that doesn't really, it's the ability to meet and persuade that matters. So sometimes I'll meet people who I'll say, um, you kind of seem to come out of the gate quickly in your business. You seem to have, have, you know, had results more quickly. What's your story? 
And, or I won't even say that I'll just see their numbers and I'll just say, tell me about your journey. What were you doing before? And I hear stories like I was a pharmaceutical sales rep. Mm. I built a successful multi-level marketing business or network marketing or whatever social selling, whatever they happen to call, but it's that Uh, I built a social, you know, a, a successful network marketing business. Oh, I've been blogging for years. I have quite a big audience through my blog. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've been on Instagram for a long time. I've, I, you know, I have 5,000 followers on Instagram. It's really uncomfortable for people to hear this because they don't want it to be true. They mm-hmm. don't want it to be true that anyone has any sort of advantage over anyone else because they want it to be reducible to belief. Mm-hmm. If I believe hard enough, if I believe big enough, then I can achieve the same results as the next person. And my answer to that is probably if we're looking at a long enough time scale. But on a short time scale, I can promise and guarantee you that when someone achieves disproportionate results in a given time period, their first six months, their first 12 months, their first 24 months, I promise you without exception that I will be able to point to circumstantial factors in that financial result. I like your like existing I will, network. Yes. Like I'll bet my mortgage payment on it. it. It's, it's, this is, you can take this to the bank. There are circumstantial factors, either in their skills that have already been built, the relationships that have already been built. Sometimes it's the niche they pick. They guess right on the niche <laughs> and, and like they, they're just off to the races. Yeah. But it can be very uncomfortable for people to acknowledge those things when what they've been told is if you just believe more, believe harder, you're going to do exactly what anyone else will do. And I always have right. to be there and say, I absolutely agree, depending on the time scale that we're talking about. Right. The longer well, the time yeah. scale, the less of a factor existing skills, existing network and luck, the less of an impact they have on the longer time scale. The shorter the time scale, the more existing network, existing skills, and luck are a factor in a person's success. The worst thing that happens in our industry is coach A and coach B start at the same time. And what they mean by that is maybe they came out of their coaching certification at the same time. So they'll say, Oh, I started my business at the same time. Why is she making so much more money than I am? And I like to say, well, you, you started, you both gave yourself the label of life coach at the same time, but she spent the last five, 10, 15 years developing the skills and the relationships that she could then monetize through this new label of life coach. That's the difference between you. It's not that either one of you is, you know, doing a particularly great job of thinking correctly that I I reject that wholesale. I completely reject it. So what you talked about, you know, relationships and skills. Mm -hmm. So our are building relationships. Is that a skill set that people can develop? It's the skill set. Okay. If you want to be a coach, now it depends on what business model you're pursuing. If you're, uh, well, I do think it's kind of the ability to develop relationships, I think has a universal application, Mm -hmm. but especially if you want to build a one-on-one coaching business, then 
the ability to meet and form relationships with people will be everything. It will be the reason that sometime in the next five years, you no longer have to do anything that you would have called marketing because your business is self-sustaining now through the relationships that you fostered. So mm. I kind of break it down into two, two R's. I have a few R's, but two of the R's are um, referrals and renewals. So as your business finds some small amount of traction, you get a paying client, that paying client continues the relationship with you. That's a renewal. It's a big factor in every coaching business I've ever been inside of mm. is people saying yes, the second, the third, the fifth time. And then relationships or, or I'm sorry, referrals. Referrals is just those people who know you, like you, and trust you telling other people about you. Well, what drives referrals and renewals? relationships. Yeah. Having a great relationship with the person that's right in front of you is what's going to drive your referrals and your renewals. So yeah, relationship building for a coach, relationship building is everything. Mm. Now, if you want to have a membership, uh, if you want to sell groups, relationship building absolutely still matters, but you have to bring in other skills, other habits, because you need more people in those business models. Yeah. A lot more people, a lot, a lot more people. So your job kind of shifts from being a business that's essentially about meeting and building a relationship with another individual. And it becomes about how can I meet as many individuals as possible in as short a time frame as possible and persuade them all at the same time. And now you're in a marketing driven business. You're in a sort of a publishing business mm -hmm. and not so much a relationship business. Okay. And what do you think, um, as far as building relationships, what does that skill set center around? Do you think if you had to point to a few factors that can be developed, is it just practice or it is, there... it is absolutely a practice. It's a habit. I think the foundation of the practice is, is uh, not viewing other human beings as transactions. Mm, yeah. If you, sometimes I'll talk with coaches and, and I can tell that they've shifted into viewing other humans completely as a transaction. This person is a prospect. This person, I have a consult set up with them. I have a follow-up. They, they kind of only view people in terms of where they are in their progress toward a credit card swipe. And I think if you're trying to build a relationship business, then you're better served to start viewing people as people and to nurture a relationship with them where they know you care about them. Um, you know, they're happy to hear from you. And the more of those relationships that you have, the more opportunities there are for someone to think of you in the moment that someone they know and love is having some sort of pain that you could address. Mm. So you, you look past the transaction to the person and you recognize that in a one-on-one -on -one coaching business, whoever has the most and or best relationships wins. 
And by wins, I mean, you, uh, I got a text message over the weekend from a person who I had done a couple of coaching sessions with probably a couple of years ago. This person never paid me anything, but we've stayed on each other's radar. I have never sent a follow-up message that sounded like, Hey, I would still love to coach you or it. I've not taken a transactional approach to this person at all, but I got a voice message from this person over the weekend that said, Hey, Mark, I have a team member. This person is a manager of a team. I have a team member who is a super high performer. She's really struggling with anxiety and her mindset. And of course I want to find her somebody to help her. And you're the first person that comes to mind. Hmm. And so that could turn into a coaching, a paid coaching relationship. Yeah. I'm not particularly caught up in whether it does or doesn't, but it could. Right. And I think it started with me not viewing the person who gave the referral transactionally. Right. I don't view him that way. Yeah. I view him as a person that I care about. We come into each other's worlds once or twice a year. There's a small reconnection. And when the opportunity arose for him to say, you need help with that. Mark is the person that I think could help you with it. Yeah. That's the practice. The practice is how can I maintain relationships with people who know me so that when the opportunity arises, they refer me. That's the skill. And once you embrace that, so much of what we're doing in our businesses kind of starts to fade away as we realize it's not absolutely essential like advertising. It becomes more about how can I maintain a relationship with an individual and less about how can I figure out my funnel? They're just two totally different mindsets. Yeah. 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 Interesting. (laughs) So, I mean, I guess where along your journey, did you learn that? Uh, I think it took me working for some of these, it took me working for different types of coaches, observing different types of businesses and realizing that, that if a person is pursuing a certain type of business, they have to pursue what I call the publishing model of marketing. So Mm -hmm. the podcast, the Instagram, even the advertising, their business model kind of requires it. Mm -hmm. But there's a whole, I, by the way, I call those businesses training businesses. We put all these businesses under the same heading of coaching. Yeah. But those businesses are more training. They're teaching people how to do things. Yeah. A coaching business is a business that's built on conversation. It doesn't have an agenda. It doesn't have a program. It doesn't have modules. It's two people coming together, engaging in an exploration together, helping the client discover themselves and helping the, helping the client direct themselves. That's a, that's a coaching business. Mm. So many of the businesses that we follow are actually training businesses and they use marketing strategies that use uh, publishing as their primary marketing vehicle. When you have a business that wants to be a coaching business, but is marketing like a training business, there's a disconnect there that where people break down. And and they're confused about why am I not succeeding? Well, it's because you're trying to grow a training business. That's what your activity shows, but Mm -hmm. you claim to want a coaching business. 
And if you aligned those, you'd realize, oh, I don't need, need to be publishing anything. I need to be nurturing relationships with individuals that will fill a coaching practice. But if I want to have a training business, then I do have to be publishing, 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 advertising, advertising, advertising. Okay. So where did so, I learn it? I, I just learned it by watching and seeing the, the, the biggest thing I observed, Jill, was we had people with training businesses who were trying to teach people who wanted coaching businesses. Mm. And all they have to offer is here's how I've grown my training business. And then the person who wants a coaching business eventually finds themselves confused because they say, I keep doing the thing that the person is telling me to do, but I'm not ending up with what I want. Right. Well, they're telling you how to grow the business they grew. Yeah. Not the business that you want to grow. Yeah. And I just watched it unfolding over the last probably five years. And I realized this is disconnected. These groups are not understanding each other. Yeah. Yeah. And I think coaches that are just getting started probably don't even understand what they truly want Agreed. yet either. So they don't know what they're building. So they just try to follow the formula um, without even knowing what they're following the formula to. A hundred percent agree. Uh, I completely agree. They're copying thanks. and there's nothing wrong with copying. Right. We all copy and I'm yeah. absolutely in favor of it. Yep. But they don't know why they're copying. Exactly. Yeah. To what they're end am I copying? Yeah. And I think if we, if we fall, if we really try to avoid the discomfort that comes with not knowing what's going to happen next, if we hate that discomfort, we will copy in hopes of avoiding that discomfort. Mm. So it's like, okay, if she's doing X, I'm going to do X. Why? Because I want to paint by numbers so that I don't have to experience the discomfort of potentially quote unquote failing but then they paint by numbers and they don't achieve the same thing in the same time frame, And they still end up with the feeling of failure, but they're not much better off because they made the result, their focus instead of the experiment or the, or the skill development, their focus. So they don't get to have the feeling of success that would come with those things. All they have is she's making X dollars. If I'm not making X dollars in the same amount of time, then, clearly something is wrong with me. It's probably my lack of belief. I'm, I'm just deficient, yeah. which is wrong and horrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So talking about, you know, the coaching business versus the training business, you're getting ready to do, um, an, an event this fall focused on that, right? Yeah. I'm hosting a conference called the beautiful business conference. And it will, it will give a lot of energy to one-on-one -on -one coaching businesses. I'm not anti anything. I'm not anti-membership. I'm not anti-group retreat. I'm not anti, I'm not anti-courses. What I have observed, what I think is true about our marketplace, our community is that one-on-one -on -one coaching businesses are too often viewed as stepping stones to other things, as sort of what you do until you can do the better thing instead of being viewed as an elegant, viable business forever, if you choose, mm. where you can make amazing amounts of money 
and enjoy an amazing lifestyle. I, I don't be, and here's what I think happens, Jill, since the businesses that have the biggest online followings are training businesses. That's mm -hmm. why they have such big online followings. They have to, right. We hear from those businesses. We don't hear from the business owner, from the coach who quietly makes an amazing living without a big online presence because they're a relationship driven business. Right. So they're making way more money than the person who's so desperately trying to grow the podcast, build the email list, grow the social following, but they aren't talking about it online. Right. So Cause they're not even, publishing business. <laughs> they're not publishing businesses. So we don't really even know they exist, but I've met enough of them now that I know they exist. Mm. And I want to do the beautiful business conference because I want to give voice and I want to give some context around the idea that you can have an amazing coaching practice where you actually, if, if this is what you care about, you earn as much or more than the vast majority of the people trying to grow training businesses. Mm -hmm. And you do it without so much of the content hamster wheel. Yeah. If you're a person who, who, who views content as a necessary evil, some people love to publish. And I, if a person loves to publish, they should start a coaching or a training business yeah. and publish their little hearts out. But if a person says to me, I just want to sit with my clients and talk with them and help them discover themselves and help them direct themselves, they don't have to publish anything if they don't want to, Yeah, but they don't know that. And the beautiful business conference is designed to help them see a path in that direction. Yeah. I love that. See, disruptive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Because I think this is going to be really good news to some coaches out there. You know, some of the people that, you know, I've coached, you know, that's, that's the business model they want. And, you know, what they're hearing is, oh, well, it's not possible to do that. That's not scalable. That's, you know, it's not, uh, yes. yeah. Scale the great lie scale. Yeah. 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 We'll talk about scale at the beautiful business conference. Awesome. Well, I'm already signed up. I it's, it's back to back with my retreat, um, this fall. So I am hoping that I'll still be able to squeeze it in. I'll still be able to make that trip out to Utah. Um, so how do people learn about the business, a beautiful business conference, if they want to, go, uh, it's going to be in Salt Lake city, right? Yeah. It's going to be on Salt Lake city planned for September 20th and 21st, 2022. Of course, it's a Tuesday and a Wednesday and, uh, the details, there aren't a lot of details at this point, but the place where they can reserve their seat is at let's do the books.com forward slash conference. Okay. Let's so let's do, do the, the books. books is my bookkeeping business okay. website. And, uh, so let's do the books.com forward slash conference is the page where they can sign up for okay. the beautiful business conference. And I will definitely put that in the show notes as well. Uh, any last words? This has been a really, I love just getting together with coaches and business owners and just, just chatting about things that people struggle with in, in the online business world. So this has been an amazing conversation. I appreciate your time. Any last words for people? 
if I'm, if I offer any advice, it would be to, to try to understand what business you're actually in and then try to become a master of that business. So if you are pursuing what I would call a training business where you show people the how, then by all means, be an amazing publisher, go that route, go for it. You can create an amazing business. Those are amazing. They can be amazing businesses. If you truly are passionate about sitting with another human being one-on-one, then do the work of figuring out what's involved in that business and commit yourself to that. It's a business that's much more about self-development and relationship building. It's actually, to be honest, Jill, all the stuff I've seen in business over the last 15 years that I've been doing different entrepreneurial things, I've yet to come across a simpler, more elegant way to make a really amazing living than a one-on-one coaching practice. So I just want people to at least consider that. Yeah. At least have that option. Yeah. So training business, get really good at teaching people the how coaching business, get really good at meeting people and building relationships. I love it. It's so simple. Yeah, it is. I'm all about simple. (laughs) Thanks so much, Mark. I appreciate you uh, having this conversation with me and I look forward to seeing you in the fall. Thank you so much for having me, Jill. I can't wait to see you as well. I found so many good parts of this conversation, so many good little nuggets to take away, but I would love to know what was your biggest takeaway. Share yours and leave a review for me about Easy Money. Thanks for being here. I'll be back soon with the next conversation with coaches on Easy Money. Love what you heard today? There's more where that came from. Just head on over to jillthemoneycoach.com and get your free and simple financial freedom guide. Stop worrying about money. Stop trying to manage your time. Instead, create ease and freedom in your business. It's the first step to making money easier. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode.